0: I could be wrong, I could be
1: right. I could be black, I could be white. I could be right, I could be wrong. I could be
0: Welcome white. back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, we're talking about dealing with angry clients. You better stick around and listen to this one. I'm not joking. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. This week, we've got a topic that's pretty tough. To kick it off, I'm Dr. Ernie Ward, your host.
1: I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser.
0: And life is hard. On top of dealing with complex medical cases, being on top of our medical skills, we have to deal with some people sometimes that are downright cruddy to us. We're talking about angry clients talking up clients that are ugly to us we're talking about interactions that don't go as we planned this week we are going to talk about how you and your team can most effectively handle the most irate individuals in your clinic and so becky i want to start this thing off by asking you as a veterinary support staff member how do you deal with angry clients
1: i turn them over to the doctor <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I'm no. not going to disagree with that, that okay. answer. I think that's actually a valid response. Yeah. But on the other side of it, you know, just that person's in the exam room and suddenly something turns terribly sideways. How do you actually deal with it in the moment?
1: Yeah, no. And all kidding aside, you know, it's situational, number one. Number two, it's being empathetic to the emotional climate that we have within the clinic, right? I mean, is my client upset because of a very valid reason? Are they having an emotional reaction to something they just heard? Or are they just kind of a mean person in general and we're doing this all the time? Um, So I think gauging the situation for what it is. And then number two, remaining calm. Reflecting back to them that you hear what they're saying and trying to find that solution and letting them know you hear them. It's the number one way to start handling an irate client.
0: Absolutely. Love that. That's a great intro to this, but you know what? I guess I just realized I need to back up a step. Cindy, what are we actually talking about when we say an angry client? I mean, what does that look like?
2: Yeah. And I feel like there's such a huge variety because I think there are those times that we actually don't even realize a client is angry until until they leave our practice. How many of us have had that a negative review pop up and we're like, "Oh my gosh, I thought that client was so happy." Exactly. Or, you know, the the partner at home is angry and upset even though the client who was in the exam room seemed perfectly pleased with their their service. And then there's the the other extreme, which is that somebody rolls into the clinic and their pet is in distress and they're threatening violence if their pet isn't uh, you know, cured. So, so there really is a huge range of uh, responses a negative responses that our clients can have
0: yeah and i think too often we limit this discussion around anger as you mentioned it as the overt client you know they're coming in there and they're just loaded and they're saying you know golly you know if you don't fix this right now i'm gonna sue you or i'm gonna call my lawyer or i'm gonna give you negative reviews that's easy to spot. I'm with you 100%. It's the person who sits there politely saying, "Oh yes, of course, okay. well, I'm gonna have to ask my husband about that." And then Facebook lights up you know six hours later. Those are the ones that really, really frighten me.
2: Absolutely. And, and I know more and more practices are actually proactively reaching out to clients after their appointments to try and figure out how their experience went to try and solve problems or try and see if there was a problem before clients have a chance to kind of respond in that way.
1: Yeah, it kind of makes me think about when you're checking out at the grocery store or Target and they say, did you find everything you were looking for today? You know, and my response is always like twice as much as what I came here for, thank you. But it's almost <laughs> like that that mechanism, right, is is maybe when we are able to follow up with the client immediately, even when they're still in the, bu- the building or directly after, could we cut that off at the pass? And I think that's a really great proactive approach.
0: Okay, well, Becky, let's go back to that situation where you are in Target or the store that asks you, did you find everything okay? Um, Aside from that, how can you spot if a client is becoming uncomfortable if the situation is starting to sour?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question, Dr. Ernie. I love that. And I think it is all about understanding body language, being present in the moment. I think a lot of times we get so busy and just so many things going on in the clinic, we aren't taking the time to really Be in that moment with that client. So when a client is shutting down verbally, not making eye contact, maybe they're shifting in their chair, maybe they're starting to use negative terminology or just shortening their sentence, but be aware of those subtle little changes that are maybe an indication that something's not quite right.
0: Yeah, that is Great advice. And this is why you've always heard me say that the most important person to focus on during the exam isn't always the patient, but it's actually the client. And so you've got to continue to maintain eye contact despite having to do a physical examination because, as Becky just alluded to, you've got to start to see when they're drifting away from you.
2: And that's a good policy, not only for keeping our clients happy, but for keeping our patients happy as well. My uh, practice owner, I thought, had a really great insight about trying to keep our patients stress free and keep their fear down. Often our clients are fearful or stressed because of costs associated with being in the veterinary hospital or the fear of being judged. And we know our patients read off their emotions. And so by keeping their emotions in check, we're going to keep our patients happier too.
0: Okay. So Becky, getting back to the support staff, and then I want to get turn my uh, attention to Cindy as a doctor, but support staff, how are you how are you supported by the management or what are you looking for? Like, okay, so, so things didn't go great. You get a negative review, you get a client who's complaining. What's, what do you expect from your leaders when that happens?
1: Number one, management has got to have their staffs back. You know, if I am saying to a client in a situation, you know, this isn't our policy that is against our policy. So maybe it's, letting the client in the back which is a whole nother podcast and again I think that a lot of times they should be but I think it's one that we regularly deal with maybe the client wants to come in the back maybe that's not your policy when they complain to the management the management lets them have their way anyway I think that's a really frustrating time for support staff so making sure like we've talked about so many times you have written concrete policies and you stick to them and management backs up their support staff is the number one way to make sure that you feel like a cohesive team
0: Wow. I love that. And if you're a manager, an owner out there listening today, I will tell you that you have to have these written protocols and actually give people scripts on how to handle some of the most common disagreements that you may have in your clinic, whether it's over cost, over it's vaccinations or or preventive care, whatever it is. But I like to go ahead and try to train my staff to equip them to say, Hey, you know what? We know this is going to happen. Here's how we found the best way to handle it. Again, from a manager perspective, you've got to start a paper trail. So if a client, situation develops, like Becky is saying, and you bring it up to your management, you need to go ahead and make sure that you're establishing a paper trail because we're also trying to spot trends in behavior because there may be a client who repeatedly offends your staff or is somehow aggressive. And if you don't document it in the record at some point, you know, you're going to lose track of that. And and it's something that you want to, again, stop it before it really starts.
2: Yeah, and that also gives us the ability. If there's something that's easy to avoid, like say the client whose spouse always is going to disagree with the bill if they don't have a chance to see the treatment plan ahead of time. I mean, often we're we're talking about even on a routine visit, you know, a couple hundred dollars, and and for a lot of families, that is tough to swing. And and I don't know about you, but in my family, it definitely is not something I would want my husband to go and just spend a couple hundred dollars without checking with me first. So um, so putting that in the records is just saying, hey, this is something that uh, is bound to upset this particular family or this particular client so that you can avoid some of those minefields in the first place. Uh, so record keeping definitely helpful.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a really good point, Cindy. I love that. Love that. But I want to circle back to you one more time, Cindy, around this issue of perception, because yeah. I think this is where the issue gets quite confusing and gray. And, and so now, you know, Cindy, sometimes we walk out of an appointment and we think, "Hey, everything was fine, and then we're disappointed when we see an an online snarky remark or a bad review, okay? But on the other hand, sometimes a client is just genuinely asking, how much is that gonna be, you know, and we say they're angry. How do you start to distinguish between that? So again, you know, I get the, the hidden types of anger, but what about when we maybe misinterpret anger?
2: Yeah, so I think the big thing that we should always make sure to do is, is to try and give people the benefit of the doubt. So trying to assume that, you know, people have good intentions, people want to do the best that they can for their pet, and starting from there until, until really proven otherwise, um, I think is really important. Uh, of course, if we end up in one of those situations where, uh we're feeling unsafe. Um of course we want to put those things in in place. Uh, there have been times where we've had a client we know is a problem and we've left the door open, or, you know, I've made sure to have someone else in the room with me. Um, or there's been clients who have made allusions to the fact that they're gun owners um, and we've had to call the police. So so there are times where you have to resort to safety. But I think just starting with the with assuming the best of people um, helps keep the situation from escalating.
1: I think that's such a great point and and it's important to not read into those situations. I agree 100%. Um, One thing I find is really important in these situations is open-ended questions. Asking the client, how do you feel about that? What are the questions I can help you to better understand the situation? But using open-ended questions for me can sometimes I feel help open the door for them to interject any of the emotional words that they need to attach to the situation and can help me get a better gauge.
0: Yeah. And, and this is, this is now is where we're going to try to pivot our conversation towards actually dealing with it when it actually happens. And Cindy, you bring up an excellent point and I want to reemphasize it. And that is, you know, always assume the best behavior. You know, we really stress this to our teams over the years, really saying, okay, look, when you start to feel that a client is getting upset with you, just take a step back internally and say to yourself, I think they're just genuinely concerned. They just genuinely want to know the answer. And so, you know, I I find that so many technicians and so many veterinarians and even receptionists, you know, when a client says, wait, how much is that? We instantly say, oh, this is coming from a place of anger. And really, they may just want to know, How much is it?
2: Yeah. Absolutely, and I thought Becky made a really, really good point about open-ended questions, too, and in kind of as you talked about pivoting to how do we deal with this situation when, when anger really is there. So when we read that body language and when we start to notice that the the tone of the, the visit is changing, one of the best things that we can do and that the science supports is, is give a name to what's happening. When our amygdala starts getting in charge, um, it can easily escalate, but we know when we start putting words to it that can put our conscious brain more in, in charge of the situation so saying hey i see that you know you seem to be feeling a little bit differently or you seem a little worried or you seem a little frustrated uh, what are you thinking of and having that open-ended question can give clients the time to to put words to that and help uh turn down that amygdala
1: i completely agree and one thing i like to do is make sure i'm using those i terms you know like i'm yeah. sensing there's a little bit of frustration right. around the diagnosis or i'm sensing you might be concerned here and this isn't what you expected or trying to make those I statements so that the client doesn't feel you know off kilter because we have to remember we're on home base they're in our quote unquote territory Right. right and so now they're likely locked in this room we probably have their dog in the back they're worried there's money they're gonna have to explain it to their spouse whatever it is and I like to really help focus on I statements so the client knows I'm not being accusatory not pointing at them no need for defense but we're noticing a change. Yeah,
2: and I also try and think about it, uh, I think when we sense that a client may be upset, just like you pointed out, Ernie, they we can get our defenses up we start feeling stress and that can escalate the situation all by itself and so just like if i'm handling a fractious cat you got to kind of get your mind into that zen place where your breathing's controlled where you're calm um you kind of got to do that a little bit consciously too i think when we're dealing with um
0: frustrated clients right and this is also where experience and wisdom really comes into play i mean many times people of of my um maturity level you know can handle better a difficult client than maybe someone who is cindy's you know experience level it's just because we've been there we've sort of proven ourselves and to ourselves that we can handle this and that in the end we can actually make it right you know and and i would say to you if you're listening today it is a skill set and just like cindy is saying this zen-like state i mean you don't just suddenly pop into that you have to actually work to get to that and so you know if you're out there and you're struggling with these issues i will say to you first and foremost think of it as training you know this is actually healthy and so try to spin this in a way that makes you better and stronger and the second thing is just understand that it will get better and you will get better
1: yeah i totally agree and, and you almost stole the world's words out of my mouth there practice that i I'm a hothead. I my mouth and my face go faster than my thoughts. And <laughs> I really truly have to work hard to try to rein that in and not let my facial expression, let alone my words, play in that moment. And it is it is just like you said, Dr. Ernie, it is a exercise. It takes practice. Having a script, having a plan, being ready for those moments will help keep you in control of that moment.
0: Okay, so now let's get into that exam room or on that front desk and we're actually starting to have a difficult interaction with a client. I think one of the things that I I always try to stress to my team is a maintain eye contact. And this isn't a staring contest and this isn't some kind of aggressive move physically, but you're actually trying to stay engaged. If you begin to avert eye contact, look down, look away, look somewhere else. What that is telling the client non-verbally is you're evading the topic and actually they will escalate in tone and volume and physicality because they're saying, come back to me. I want your attention. So maintain that presence, stay engaged. Second thing you want to do is I always try to take a a step in my mind and say, stay calm, breathe. You know, and so I'm trying to, as Cindy was saying, actually try to de escalate my emotional state so that I can maybe bring this other person down. And then a third thing that we really try to stress is just like Becky was saying with the I words, I understand, you know, I understand this, I understand how, how difficult this news must be to hear. I understand that this is a lot of money, you know, I understand what, however you want to frame those I words, but you're starting to say, I, I'm with you and, and look, we, I can empathize.
2: And there are certain things I think we should definitely avoid using the word, but is, uh, <laughs> I think very dangerous. So often we want to try and agree with the client as much as possible. And I think just putting the care of the patient in mind and and making that our common goal is one of the most important things that we can do. Um, again, assuming that the client really cares about their pet and that we're just trying to take care of them and try and take care of their animal can, can put us on common ground. Um, I, I always i am glad that um, I'm not a refrigerator salesman because, you know, when we're dealing with frustrated or angry clients, they generally have a good reason to be frustrated or angry. And I I try and come back to that and at least say, you know, hey, this is a a living being that they're concerned about. Um, Let's kind of get down to what's important and, and take it from there.
0: Wow, Cindy, you really caught me with that uh, refrigerator salesman. That's a that's a good one. <laughs> I'm glad you're not a refrigerator salesman as well. And me too. too. But uh, but th- let's get, get get back to this. So so I love I love this uh this part of the conversation we're starting to say okay what about the client who we have wronged yeah. okay so becky we screwed up i mean i don't know how to put this more delicately i know we did an entire episode uh, last year on what happens when we make medical mistakes but let's say we misbuild them we we screwed up becky what's the next step you think a technician or a veterinarian should take
1: own it. Number one, own it. You have to own it. It can be really, really hard. But a lot of times I think the client just wants to feel validated. They have a loss of control sensation. They There is nothing they can maybe do about it. And so the most important thing to do, I think, is to say, this. this is something we need to take responsibility for.
0: Yeah, it is so clear. I mean, for years Mm -hmm. I have made a simple statement. The customer is almost always right, you know, and that's a really important distinction because I think sometimes if we frame it as the customer is always right, that's too far extreme. And if we say, well, it's not about the customer always being right, I think that's ridiculous. Then, of course, we frame it in another extreme. Honestly, most of the time when we have conflict with our clients, it's because we screwed up. They typically have a legitimate complaint, and even that legitimate complaint could be about the cost of care. I mean it doesn't matter it is a legitimate so it should be our goal to try to make things as right in the world as possible again just my way of looking at things
2: absolutely so and even if we're not sure if We've truly made a mistake. If it's just a perception that we might have, I think we we've got to understand that it, you know, sometimes we don't know a hundred percent of the time what's happened. And, you know, I think it's easy for us to flat out tell a client there's no way possible that right. any of this could be our fault. And I, I find that clients respond a lot better if we say, you know, I believe in our team. I think we've done everything that we could, but never say never in medicine and, and you know, maybe something did happen and we're going to try and put your pet first and, and try and make this right. I think, again, really can kind of help de escalate the situation um, because sometimes it seems like if we're not willing to accept that something might have happened, even unintentionally, um, owners can feel like we're telling them they're crazy.
0: Absolutely.
1: I also think that you make a, I think you make a great point there as far as backing up your team but also saying anything is possible, I'm willing to take ownership, let's look at this together. One other thing I think that can help work is to offer several different solutions. So talking to the client about how can I fix this what would you like the outcome to be? What are your expectations in this situation? Help them feel like they have an active role in the solution or maybe even proactively before there's a problem can sometimes help take that loss of control and that frustration and the scariness of it all out of the picture.
0: Oh, wow, that is just perfectly said, Becky. I really appreciate that. And this is why, you know, I I think it's nearly 20 years now, I wrote an article called, Thank You for Complaining. And yeah. what, I, what I've tried to instill in my staff and in, in anybody that wants to hear is that, you know, we should be very grateful when a client actually has the guts, especially in this day and age of anonymous online reviews, to actually say, hey, I'm not happy. Hey, you can do better. Hey, you should do better. We should actually take that opportunity to say and reflect. Can we do better? Should we be able to do better? I mean, what did? Where did we go wrong? Again, it's not saying that the customer is always right. It's saying the customer is almost always right, and we should take their words very seriously.
1: And
2: even if we don't agree with everything they're saying, usually there's at least a little something in there that we can can learn from. Um, and I think it's a good time for us to emphasize what's a good part of a good apology. So there are yeah. a couple <laughs> elements to making an effective apology. So saying you're sorry making sure we're not giving all of these excuses. So it's really tempting when you're making an apology to say, I'm sorry, but this is why I did what I did. So try to avoid doing that. It's also helpful to uh, reflect back what you expect the other person's experience or emotions to be or ask them about that. And then to try and uh, emphasize how you're looking to change your behavior going into the future. Because I think that's the biggest thing owners are often scared of is that this is going to just happen again and again or that they need to kind of warn other people off of of what's happened.
0: Yes. You know, I think that most of the time when we deal with these quote-unquote angry client, these complaints, these difficult situations, what the client wants to be assured is that you're going to fix whatever it was. You're going to make it right Uh, and that it's not going to happen again so that they feel like they can have this trusted relationship. I think too often we do a a simple check down to say, oh, this is about the money. They want their money. They want a discount or whatever. And I think that's true in some situations, but most of the time the client is actually they're trying to care for all the animals in the world and, and their worldview. They're kind of saying, you know, hey, I want to make sure that Dr. Ward never misses this, you know, issue again. And therefore, I'm bringing it to, to your attention. I mean, just be aware that they want you to fix it. They want to make sure it's not going to happen again. If you can satisfy that, a lot of times you win the, the situation.
1: Okay. So... I get that we're talking about your everyday client who's slightly displeased, but you know, I can't help but think about some of the emergency shifts that I've worked before where things got way out of control. I've had clients curse at me. I've had clients throw things across the room and completely start to trash things. How do we keep our staff and ourselves safe in these situations? What do you guys recommend when a client is just never happy or it gets way out of control?
0: Well, two things there, Becky, I want to jump in on. First of all is the threat to life. And I've personally had two clients, you know, pull a gun, point the gun at me and say they're going to kill me. Uh, One was an emergency, sort of like you said, and I'm, I'm always very suspicious in that case that, drugs or alcohol were at play Uh, but regardless you know that that's a real situation the second one was a client a non-client who came in and basically demanded that i put his dog to sleep because he was about to move and i refused and so he showed me a gun he said well you know here's what's going to happen i'm going to put my dog down and then i'm going to put you down and, you know that was a lot of fun uh, but regardless oh uh, i did survive both of those without a, a gunshot being fired um so there are situations where you've got to make sure your staff is safe in the emergency situation it was just me and my wife we were coming in it's like a 2 a.m type of emergency so honestly the only person that was probably going to die was going to be me and my wife at worst so you know we didn't have kids at the time so that was that uh the other one though uh once the the staff figured out that Wow, Dr. Ward's taking a long time in here with this client. Um, actually one of my staff members <laughs> cracked the door, saw the the guy with the gun pointed at me and of course immediately called the cops and um and you know he left and blah blah blah, but but being safe is a is a serious serious situation. Uh, but Cindy, before we I have to, before we jump off of uh, guns and and threats of violence, you know there is this this concept that kind of bugs me and it's bugged me for a lo- long time and that is, this concept of firing the client First of all, I want to tell you why I've always objected to that terminology was simply one of definition. We don't employ the client, so therefore we don't fire them. So I think it's kind of a ridiculous situation. It also puts us in this position of power and superiority over the client where we should be having a collaborative equal relationship. So every time I hear somebody say, firing clients, I kind of instantly go, wait, what? Do we even know what we're talking about?
2: Um, Well, I do want to just uh, come to this safety thing just really quickly. (laughs) Yes. Um, Uh, I just want to point out that uh, there are certain situations where we're more likely to be unsafe. Um, We know that human hospitals are one of the riskiest uh, workplaces to work in, in terms of rates of homicide. So uh, there are certain things such as having access to controlled drugs, being open late at night, um, having access to uh, highly emotional clients and patients that, that do put us in the same kinds of increased risk Compared to others, and so especially uh, if you're working alone, if you're working at night, if you have a small business, if you have controlled drugs, you maybe want to be thinking about those risks and make sure that you're uh, planning on keeping your staff safe and make sure they know what to do. And there are actually some OSHA guidelines on uh, kind of training your team in in how to prepare for those situations.
0: Yes, Cindy, that is such a good point. And remember too, as our profession has become more feminized, I mean the world knows that they know that typically in your office it's like you know one male to every 10 females or whatever. So just be aware that also puts some potential vulnerability or risk there.
1: Yeah, you make a great point um, too about the fact that, that our population is generally female and people know that. I know that I've been in situations in the clinic where like the only male on staff feels obligated to kind of go and handle these irate clients. One thing that I have found works um, in dealing with these situations is something I was trained a long time ago when I worked for health insurance if you want to talk about our great clients and <laughs> it was continue to repeat yourself come up with your yes. statement and stick to that statement and no matter what that client is spewing at you, you can just let them know I'm really sorry I'm going to have to I'm going to have to stick with our policy of and if you continue to repeat that the exact same sentence over and over and over no emotion, no escalation they do kind of eventually, wear down and realize they're not going to get what they want just by screaming and yelling.
2: What's interesting that I find is uh, sometimes actually you can use that feminization to your benefit as well. Um, Honestly, I sometimes find that clients will be uh, somewhat more aggressive toward my male colleagues because they see them as an opponent, whereas I am this tiny, five foot one, uh, soft spoken, positive, energetic woman. And, And it's kind of hard to be negative toward me. And so a lot of times I ended up being the client tamer um, in some of these reasonable situations. Again, in those, those unsafe situations, obviously we need to just to come up with that, whatever plan keeps everybody safe.
1: You make such a great point there though, Dr. Cindy, where we always talk about playing to your team's strength. Who is that team member who has right. the most empathetic ear? Who is that team member that everybody just loves and you can't get mad at? You know, I agree with you. Being able to use that personality trait to your advantage is probably the best thing that we can do. So find that team member who feels comfortable having these conversations and help them. You know, be that person who deals with these clients when needed.
2: And I'll and I'll finally circle back to your question about firing uh, a <laughs> right. attorney. So um, divorcing.
0: So I, it, whatever, quitting, those yes, whatever yes. the term needs so, to be. But.
2: And, and in, in logistical terms, so we have this veterinary client patient relationship, right? Um, and we know that for that relationship to exist, our clients both have to be willing to follow our recommendations and we have to be willing to be in that relationship with them. Right. And if we decide to, to end that relationship, we do have to provide them um, with reasonable amount of time to provide their pet with other care and other options options so um so there is a a termination or an ending of a formal legal relationship in those cases um but yeah i i agree with you that you know we need to understand what that is and and this idea that you know we have all the power and that we have you know that word kind of ignores the responsibilities we have to our patient as well. And that that does worry me a little bit because we do need, we do have a legal obligation to make sure that pet can get care elsewhere, um, even if that's at an emergency clinic. And if you're the only game in town, you might not actually legally have that option.
0: Yeah, that's really well said, I appreciate you bringing that up. But but let's get back to that issue of, of what's at hand here, because there are clients, there are problems that we just can't solve with all the civility in the world and no matter how persuasive and and positive we may be you know it's just time to separate to divorce ourselves to terminate this relationship so Cindy brought up a good a few points there number one there are some legal obligations so you want to make sure that you're in tune with your state's medical uh, guidelines number two you're probably gonna have to have this in writing as well you're gonna have to give them Copies of records that are pertinent. You're gonna to have to give them alternatives, as Cindy has pointed out. I mean, so there are steps you have to take. You can't just say we're never dealing with her again. I mean, there are some actual steps. So Becky, in in your experience, sort of as we wrap up this, when you found that it was time to part ways, and and that's fine. That's just part of life and situations. How how have you guys handled it, and what were the what were the outcomes?
1: Oh yeah, you know. It, I've only had to be a part of that a few times, and I remember thinking, I'm so glad I'm the vet tech here. I'm going to go back and do something very technical, um, because this is emotional, and I don't want to live in this space. But, um, you know, it's been done mostly by a letter, and I, I don't know that that's necessarily the, the best approach. I think a phone call followed by that letter, because we do need it in writing, and we have had, you know, signature certified Anytime that you can have a conversation with a client face-to-face, I just really believe that personal confrontation is always best. Yes. Um, If that's not possible, if you can't get a hold of them or they don't return your calls or you know that it's not going to get anywhere productive, you know, sending that letter the best that you can... Um, but I think exhausting all other means is, is better in, if you can, but when you have to, every time you possibly can have a conversation with that client, I think over the phone is most appropriate in a, in person, you know, leaves a lot more room for escalation, but give them the respect and the courtesy of talking it out.
0: So Cindy, I want to, as we close up, I want to. Just share with you where some of our boundaries were, and then I want to get your take on it. For us, the when we would you know terminate a client would be a when they threatened us either physically with a lawyer, you know, they threatened yeah. us somehow, and we felt unsafe and we felt the trust had been broken. The yeah. second boundary, of course, for us was it was consistency. So if if this client continued like you know every every appointment you know there was a big complaint or a scene in the lobby or you know i mean it's like three times in a row um we typically tried to investigate is there something else going on is there something we can do better or differently or does this person is are they dealing with cancer on their side or Mm -hmm. do they lose a spouse you know we tried to separate that out and but if it continued and it was persistent then we had to of course draw the line i mean so cindy where are some of those lines for you
2: Yeah, I think those are really great, great lines. There are two books I'm going to reference here. One is called uh, Braving the Wilderness, which talks about how we interact with people we disagree with and, and two places we need to pull away are, as you mentioned, when we no longer feel physically safe, also, when we don't feel emotionally safe, and generally that comes down to personal attacks, when instead of disagreeing over the way things are done or opinions, uh, we, we start attacking who we are as people, right. and I, I think that's a clear line. There's also a great book called The No A-Hole Rule, which uh, t- starts to define you know, people we are who are going to be chronically a problem are people who generally tend to treat people they perceive as lower status much right. worse than people they perceive as the same or higher status than them. So the, the client who's really treating the team members, support team members badly, but treating the doctor just fine, uh, those I think are going to be a uh, problem clients where you, may, you should be addressing that behavior. Um, and people who are consistently uh, creating a huge emotional drain on the people they interact with on a regular basis. Um, and that that's a really really fun book to read for anyone who hasn't checked that one out already
1: I I love all of those um, resources because I think it's really important for us as veterinary professionals to think outside of ourselves, to, to remember that there are a lot of things that are able, you know, to be worked through and that we could possibly be able to help them deal with something else going on. And I kinda wanna reiterate in these moments, this is another time to be using those I statements and not the you statements, you know. We've noticed that we're not meeting the needs at your you feel your pet deserves or we feel like we're not meeting your expectations how can we make that happen and, and again making it non-confrontational
0: well, in closing today, we want to hear from you. You know, I always say typically there's another side to the story that we're not knowledgeable about. So maybe this client who you feel is angry really isn't angry or maybe they're dealing with some personal crisis. So, again, be as open-minded as possible. But what do you do? How do you handle angry clients? How do you try to make the world a little bit better place? We want to hear from you.
2: Yeah, and we'd love to hear your success stories. What has worked for you guys in the past and, and maybe how have you helped to reform some of those pres- frustrated clients uh, you can get in touch with us on at facebook on at veterinary viewfinder and on twitter at vet viewfinder also hop onto itunes and leave us a review hopefully you're not an angry reviewer though so
1: so if you're not please <laughs> go ahead and leave us five stars and don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder.
0: until next time bye
1: bye bye bye, bye.
0: goodbye goodbye,
1: goodbye.
2: Dun, dun, dun.
0: (laughs) You
1: better let me out of here. I'm gonna sue. I'll rip
0: my money back.
1: Fluffy really hates it here.